What's up, fight fans? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Thursday, June 20th. My name is Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. And I'm host Natalie Zamudio. Hey, Gabriel, what's going on? Happy day before summer. <laughs> yeah, it, it, can you believe it's just rolling along? I, I I'm really a... <laughs> Yeah, it's a uh, it's coming fast, but you know what? I'm always happy for uh for summertime. You know what? I'm gonna let you in on something right now. Summer is my season. <laughs> I swear, and you guys are gonna find out very soon. But I just kill it every summer. So every time <laughs> it's it's kind of like, all right, this is my time. This is where uh, this is where I get my work in and get ahead while everyone's on vacation. If you ask me, so. I'm always excited when it's summer, but what about you? Yeah, I'm excited for summer. Uh, I'm also excited because I just had a King Taco burrito, which if you've ever been to King Taco, amazing. So That's better uh, than anything I could do. I think so. I think so. That's a good life right there. uh, You know, I'll tell you, full confession, I uh, I had one yesterday at the actual spot, and I went with my mom. And she said, hey, why don't you buy another one for yourself for tomorrow? And I was like, no, that's crazy. But I did it. And then I ate it. And it was so good. <laughs> you know what? Life is short. Eat the taco. Yep. You know, the, so look, I mean, as much as I'd love for us to talk about all our favorite lunch spots around Los Angeles, there are a lot of fights to go over. There are two events to look at this week, at least two main events. And, of course, a big fight card from the weekend. So let's get into it. Bellator 222. The Bellator's, I want to say, just yearly stop in Madison Square Garden now. Another stacked card from the prelims to the main event, which we discussed. And let's start from the top down. Rory McDonald, Neiman Gracie. Not as easy as I think a lot of people expected for Rory. I think a lot of people thought this should be one-sided. But Neiman pushes him the full five rounds, has a few moments in there. But at the end of the day, Rory McDonald gets the job done. What were your thoughts on the fight? I actually thought Rory looked great. Uh, he neutralized, uh, you know, Neiman's jiu-jitsu. I thought quite beautifully, you know, he had a counter for every every assault. It was really, really fun uh, just grappling to watch. Rory, as he, as he said in media interviews, was going to be more technical fighter, and he sure was. He still showed a lot of aggression too, and um, and composure. So I think you know the man that that everyone was worried about after after the John Fitch fight at the end of April. I don't think we have to worry anymore. You know he transitioned into whatever this new version is, and and I think he's he's a he's a great new version of Rory. I'm happy. I think he's still dangerous, uh, maybe even more dangerous because I'm. I'm really impressed by the composure that he showed that he was putting some tough, some tough spots, but he had an answer for everything. You know, it was just really cool to see. So uh, if I'm, uh, if I'm Lima, I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be a little more, more challenging than I might've thought a, a month ago after Rory fought Fitch. Uh, I think for me, there was a lot of time on the feet and I just felt like, when you have that much time, and if you're Rory McDonald, I think, and maybe this was me, maybe I was feeling overly ambitious, I'll admit that. 
that Rory really should be able to run away with it if it stays on the feet for X amount of time, which it did, and he didn't. So I think that that might just be a little bit of um, expecting a little too much, considering that Neiman, even though his record, he's still relatively newer compared to all the guys in the field. Um, he's still, you know, he's a very dangerous guy. I thought he really chopped away with some power that, quite frankly, John Fitch didn't do. And I said last week and throughout the week leading up to it that you're gonna, if you're going to try to bang with Rory a little bit, you go for the damage. You don't just try to throw something with the intention of only setting up the takedown. So that might be a little bit of it. Rory did look good. Once again, I think that was also part of Neiman rising to the occasion, not letting himself get blown out against such an experienced guy and well-rounded guy in Rory. But that's just how I saw it. I felt like on the feet, I felt like that was, uh, you know, Rory wasn't as dominant as I thought he was going to be if it stayed on the feet that long. And I think that's partially credit to Neiman. That's partially credit to his uh, more measured approach, like you talked about. He did go for a lot of stuff. The scrambles on the ground were a lot of fun. Neiman, um, you could tell he was close, but never had it. And he did force Rory to be patient and execute the right maneuver to defend it. But it was a fun fight overall. And I think that that was um, pleasantly surprising. And yeah. if you are a fan of Rory and you want to see, you know, his talent, you know, at a high level competing, you got that. So I will admit that for sure. Um, going into the Douglas Lima fight that you touched on, you know, we just had that fight last year. I remember covering it. I remember I was there. It was epic. I think the biggest thing is that their biggest weapons still remain the same. Lima is far more explosive, does so much more damage when he touches you, whereas Rory is going to be a little bit faster. And while, you know, on paper, the, you know, Lima's no slouch. At the end of the day, uh, Rory just uses more of his skills. Lima, respectfully, if he doesn't need to go to the ground, he won't take it there. Rory will. That's kind of one of the big differences with those two. So I don't see it being a drastically different fight from the first one. It is once again another close fight. But what are your preliminary thoughts? Not a full prediction yet. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it's going to be interesting with Lima coming off of his win over MVP and um, and wanting revenge for for losing the belt. So um, that's what gets me excited. I mean, you know, they're both obviously super skilled. And yeah, you're right. Lima's got the if, if you know who's who's more threatening on the feet. Yeah, I, I would give it to Lima for sure. But um, I think I think Lima's got the confidence. Rory's got the new mindset. So. I'm way more excited about this fight than I, than I was, you know, a few days ago, you know, assuming yeah. Rory won. And uh, I'm almost as excited as I, as I was about the prospect of this fight when they first announced the tournament and you're sort of looking at the brackets and thinking, Oh, wouldn't this be a nice rematch? So it kind of, I'm sure Bellator, I'm trying to think like what would have been, what would have been Bellator's ideal, you know, finale, I guess, for this tournament, maybe to have MVP in there. Yeah, against Rory, but you got to believe they always wanted their champ to stay a champ till the very end, and then hopefully, you know, defend the belt again. Yeah, I always said, you know, respectfully, I didn't understand having Rory be a champion and then having the belt throughout the tournament. It just kind of 
you know, it just seemed convoluted because it's like if you beat Rory in the first round, but you don't win the tournament, does it really? Were you really a champion? Respectfully, just because of the way that competition was set up. So, I I've always felt that way. I get why they did it out of respect to what Rory's done and where he's at in the um in the division in Bellator. So that's how I felt. Um, in terms of the fight, I think it. It figures to be um, just as exciting. I think the fact that they've been in there with each other for five rounds adds a very interesting element because they really did, you know, show a lot of, you know, show their whole hand in uh, that first fight last year. So I'm I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be good. And um, and you're right. This is really one of the best fights that could have been made. I think that the hype was there for MVP, but when you look at what Lima did and who he is. This isn't a bad fight. This is a very fun fight for Bellator. And um, they say, Rory says he wants a bit of a break. He wants closer to the fourth quarter for this fight to happen. The thing that I understand is that it has to happen on the zone because that's part of their deal that these fights are going to happen exclusively on the app. That would mean, does do they have a zone exclusive card that's not just the year-end, the Hawaii card that I think is rumored. Um, so what do you think about that, possibly waiting that long for the final? I think it's probably, if especially if Rory's asking for more time, good for him. I bet Lima's itching to get back in there, though, because he didn't... I mean, how long was the first... The MVP fight, wasn't that over in the first round? Like, that was, he's, the, like, second in May. Okay, uh, yeah, and so, like, he's probably, you know, he probably came out of there fresh and is just, like, wants to get it over with, get his uh, his million dollars and his belt. So that's a long wait for him, unless he has some injuries, which, you know, they always have something that they could they could rehab a little bit, but yep. I, would, I would rather see it. You can still give Rory a decent break and, and maybe do it at the beginning of the fourth quarter, so maybe October. Um, but but again, I don't know where the zone. You mentioned the zone, so I don't know how that affects the timing of of um, of this matchup. Like uh, they're all airing on the zone, right? But are you saying that some of them are just like exclusively on the zone? Some of them do not air on Paramount, I guess, right? Correct, exactly. Yeah. So and so those the zone only. They're never airing on Paramount. They happen more sporadically. Like, this is the first one, like, once a month, almost. It, I don't want to call it like a UFC pay-per-view, but you get my point, is that yeah, they don't happen as frequently as the Paramount widely distributed ones on TV. Yeah, I wonder how long that's going to last, just just talking about distribution, because as soon as Zone kicked in with Bellator, or Bellator started up with Zone, like, I don't even watch the fights on Paramount anymore. I mean, what's what's the point? If you have Zone, you can just watch it. Um when it, anyway you can watch it right away because i think the yeah. paramount ones were like were taped delayed right so that was one one annoying factor and well, what's uh, crazy is that the, the zone ones are still tape delayed it's okay the, the way i understand it and they've admitted it's very flawed but be, they kind of tape delay it on the zone also out of respect for the fact that they they can't also screw paramount you know what i mean because I think that's one thing that happened. Like, um, what is it? Like, even the prelims, like, for Saturday, they started live, but they aired it on West Coast time to make it fair. 
You know what I mean? Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So we're still getting we're still getting tricked. All right, never mind. <laughs> I know. It's not, dude. Coco gets asked that like every other week. It's like, when are you gonna end the tape delay madness? Like for Saturdays, I think it's tape delay, which is a travesty. You know, that's a big fight. They got some good characters on that card, but um, yeah, that's a discussion for another day. Though we got a lot of fights. I think so. Yeah. (laughs) Um, moving on to the co-main event, or if you hear Chael Sonnen, the main event, and Rory and Neiman were the encore. Uh, Leota Machida. Stops Chael Sonnen in the second round. Um, I want to talk about the positives. Chael Sonnen had a good start. I think that he was trying to implement the right game plan. At the end of the day, Lyoto made the adjustments. He was able to make the reads and counter him um, in the middle of the cage. Obviously, the flying knee caught Chael right on the button, and he really was never the same. Credit to Chael. I think that that is a testament to how much fight he has in him. I We obviously know his decision after the fight, but I think that is proof that this wasn't a guy who was looking to just roll over. He hung in there and he came back out for the second round. But this was just an example of Lyoto being ahead of him in the game at this stage. And he gets the job done. Um, before we talk about Chael, because he was the big story, Lyoto. Do you think that performance gets him to get Ryan Bader to come back down to 205, make the weight cut again, etc.? It should. I mean, Lyoto's still a huge name, and he had an impressive performance. Like, usually when these guys get to their 40s, like, they can still, you know, they, they still win fights, but, like, to be still athletic like that, like, flying knee, that's, like, one of the coolest ways to win a fight, you know? Yep. That's one of the ones that always makes the highlight reel, and Lyoto's, like, 41, it's really cool to see him still do that. I mean, he's a specimen. I, I love the guy. Super handsome, as I said last week. So anyway, you can all get me talking. <laughs> I know. You can get me talking about Leota all day. So um, I think it is. You know, Bellator always or almost always, at least for their, their, their big fights, thinks first with their their mind over their heart, right? Not, not yeah. that they're not more merit-based than UFC. I think they are. But they also are just like, open about being practical and so Bader who beat Fedor at this in this amazing way is the double champ you know to have him fight Leona Machida like that's great the poster I mean come on so I think it should go to him not only because I think he deserves it and he'll put on a good performance but because it just makes marketing sense yeah you know I'll I'll be honest the thing that has um bothered me a little bit is Ryan gets that big win over Fedor you get time to celebrate it as you should, but we're what a week and a half from July. That fight was in January, and we're still no closer to the Czech Congo Ryan Bader fight. Which, if that's what's going to be next, all right, I get it. But you know, let it's kind of time to schedule that now. I'm kind of you know waiting on them to say, hey, Ryan Bader, Czech Congo this August, this September, just to move it along. We haven't gotten any indication of that yet. And I understand he renegotiated his deal about a month and a half ago and all that um, for Bellator, as he should also. But it seems like, well, now what are we waiting on? Because respectfully, if Lyoto isn't fighting Ryan this year, if they're going to push it that far, then that's almost unfair to Lyoto, who's a big name. And I get you want to promote your double champ correctly, but the delay is starting to get uncomfortable because I feel like somebody's about to get screwed in this. 
So that's my only thing is that I want Ryan Bader just booked already. Um, if they choose to do um, Lyoto first over Chuck Congo, that is the bigger fight. Um, but once again, that's screwing Chuck Congo, who's on a great run. But, you know, that's the situation we're kind of getting to. So I really hope that they just make the Ryan Bader fight heavyweight or light heavyweight very soon because it, we're kind of getting to that part of the calendar. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's a fair comment because Bader was not – he was untouched in that tournament. He finished yep. Fedor like in 30 seconds. And um, again, as most fighters, he, maybe he had some nagging injuries. He wanted to, to um, you know, rest or to have heal up. Well, and he probably wanted some rest too after coming off of a, a tournament. Like he just blew through the tournament. Okay. But like, yeah, he could have fought. He could have fought. He could have defended that heavyweight belt already a couple of times from between January and, you know, what are we at? June 28th or June 20th. So. Yeah, it's a little frustrating because because you're right. Whoever is the reason for the delay, whether it's it's Bader wanting to negotiate his contract or his health or Czech Congo, like it, it, it does now put everybody in a more uh, vulnerable position. Like someone, as you said, will get screwed. So, oh, well. Yeah. Now, talking about the bad guy. So he, I, I'm going to preface this. I am one of the biggest Anderson Silva fans you will ever meet. He, <laughs> watching his performances was part of what made me a big fan of the sport, which obviously put me to my job now, which is awesome. And I always credit the guys who really just were killing it and were so fun to watch. And that's why I love the, the fight game. Um, so, you know, just kind of like you take a side in any feud, whether it's sports, celebrities or what have you. <clears throat> Game of Thrones, if you're Team Thanos or Team Avengers, you know, you kind of are obligated to dislike the villain of your team. And so, Chell Sonnen, it took me quite a long time, obviously. And he said a lot of stuff. Some, I will still say, is controversial, even though I don't believe that's who he is in his heart and soul. Um, that being said, I've heard a lot. I've read a lot. I think at the end of the day, Chell Sonnen is a guy, you know, he's retired. Um, fantastic career. I think that he really was one of those guys who understood promotion. But more than that, he leveraged that, you know, the hype of being the character. And he's turned it into one of the best sports analyst transitions I think we've seen since, you know, they started putting these guys on TV. It's not just like a five minutes on spike after the pay-per-view. He's really that guy. I would argue that um, the only guy even who comes close is Tyron Woodley. And even Tyron, he doesn't do as much analyst work as much as has different hands in the entertainment side, which is fine. But I think when you talk about who's become like the number one fighter turned analyst, I even put Chelsea in ahead of Brian Stan. And most people would say Brian is the number one guy for his analysis. I think Chael just has a few more. He can host, he can analyze, and he can just commentate. He does a little bit more than Brian, and I think that is what is so impressive about him. So I think that amazing career. He made it a lot of fun. In terms of his comments, I think that at the time, he's, he had to say something that made him a star. I think in recent years, you will, you can admit he take, you know, even though he kind of takes personal shots, it isn't as, how do I want to say it? 
he doesn't cross the line like he used to. He'll talk about Fedor being boring, but he's not going to say something bad about Russia. Like he's <laughs> saying bad stuff about Brazil with Anderson. He isn't that guy anymore. And I think that now that he established himself, now that he kind of sold his soul a little bit, he doesn't need to do that anymore. And I think that's something that, you know, not to name names, but we know a couple guys in the game right now. Take that example. So congratulations to Chael. I've met him. I've spoken to him before. A uh, nice guy. I appreciated um, all of his and He gave me a great respect. Congratulations. I look forward to seeing him. I'm on the great guy to watch and I hope MMA gets to lot. I hope he does it from us now that he's in retirement. Yeah, I think it's going to be great to see him just go all in on the mic and he is one of the best. He's got to be the best the best guy on the microphone in MMA. Like just period. You know, when you when you think about as you said his fight career, his analyst career like when you put the whole history together, uh no one can talk better than him or like him at all, or even close to it. So I've always, um, I shouldn't say always, I'm with you uh, on the Anderson Silva thing. Big fan of Anderson Silva. So for a long time, did not like Chell Sonnen at all. And I didn't come to know him really, uh, or come to like him really, until after he left um, the UFC and started with Bellator. And just listening to him talk, listening to his podcast, hearing interviews, I was like, man, this guy's smart. He's so funny. He always speaks frankly for honestly um and i love how much he embraced being a showman but you can only do that really successfully with uh with intelligence and so he is one of the smartest guys out there too um so uh i was thinking like as far as favorite chael son and moments right um, yeah. i can't think of any i couldn't think of any in the cage one actually just occurred to me right now but what i remember the most before i'll get to this new one is him fighting Anderson Silva the second time and getting like totally beat up in the second round, knee in the chest, and then Anderson Silva um, inviting him to a barbecue. So it's it's completely not a compliment to Chael Sonnen. It's kind of a diss, but that's one of my favorite Ch- Chael related moments. Until I remembered when he fought Fedor and that hilarious <laughs> moment where he's like on his back and he just like slides off, off his <laughs> back because he's like trying to like flip Fader over and like he couldn't budge him that is something I watched uh on replay a lot because it made me laugh so again it sounds like I'm dissing him but I'm not I really enjoyed the guy on the mic and uh it's gonna be fun seeing him go all in on uh on, at the desk you know uh, a lot of tidbits he referenced one of when he was trying when he was really trying to disrespect everybody and you know he's just saying BS, but he insisted that Minotaro Noguera tried to feed uh, a carrot to the bus because he thought it was a horse. So it, was like, <laughs> it was so stupid and that it's like enough of this madness, but he committed to it forever. Um, against Brian Stan, he had that line, something like um, he loves the USA, I love the USA, and on Saturday night, there's going to be a red, white, and blue ass whooping. I was rolling over that one. <laughs> that one, I loved it. And even um, he was talking to Ariel on Saturday, and um, he talks about how the ref pulled a cheat off of him and told Chael, like, I was trying to help you. And Chael says, I asked him, what took you so long? I was done <laughs> fighting five minutes ago. 
And I was like, that is, that's funny, but that's Chael, and that's why he made it so fun. So um, I will miss the quips. There's something to be said when you know you're going to fight and you say that stuff. It's different when he's just at the desk. So it is what it is, but he made it very fun. And um, I know, the look, I think the controversies he paid for and he's had to answer to, um, I do believe that's not who he is in his soul, and I, I'm going to just leave it at that because I know there are a lot of people who had different thoughts on it. So that's Chael Sonnen at the end of the day, in my opinion. That's where I see it. Right on. Moving on, the Bantamweight title got very complicated. You had Darian Caldwell gets the rematch with Kyoji Horiguchi. The decision, did you agree with it for Horiguchi, uh, Natalie? I did, yeah, 100%. I was with... Um... I think it was Big John saying the whole time, like, you know, Caldwell's just hold, holding him down. He's not doing anything. Horiguchi's the one that's that's throwing punches, even if, you know, they're not really going to hurt Caldwell. And, and he's on the back. Yeah, even though he's on his back, he was still throwing punches to the ribs, to the face, whenever he could. Caldwell landed a couple of good knees there. But, like, it was, it was, it was a, a poor game plan by Caldwell, who I guess ultimately succumbed to uh, fatigue. And uh, couldn't do more than just hold Horiguchi down. And Horiguchi never stopped, never stopped, you know, responding with offense. Or I should say effective defense, uh, you know, punches and whatnot. But I guess that's offense too. Anyway, yeah, to me, there was no controversy. In fact, I didn't really even realize there was any, you know, controversy until later. Because uh, it, it seemed pretty clear to me that Caldwell just didn't have enough juice to do anything meaningful against Horiguchi. And Horiguchi just you know, stayed the course and did what he had to do. Yeah, to me, I think that if you've only ever seen Horiguchi in UFC or if you only remember his fight with Demetrius, you probably don't realize just how good this guy is. Um, I think the thing about Darian, I don't know if it came down to the cardio. I don't know if it came down to the fact that he felt like he would lose position if he started striking and trying to throw um, shots against Horiguchi from the top. But at the end of the day, yeah, there, um, I felt like that was a very winnable fight for Darian, which made it very frustrating for me because I feel like it's right there, man. Just do a little more and you probably run away with this. Yeah, he did. There were a lot of moments where he just seemed passive, just keeping top position. And once again, I don't know if he was scared of losing it, but at the end of the day, there were just too many passive moments where those few shots of Horiguchi, they added up. And I th- thought that got his decision. Um I thought Darian looked very strong in that first few minutes. I thought that, hey, this is what he wanted. Inside a cage, a rematch. He's, been, he's gone familiar with Kyoji. Um, it, just, it just didn't come together for him. Um, in that one, Kyoji now becomes a better Bryson champion. But let's lead it. Meta takes out Eduardo 145. Wants to at Horiguchi. Kyoji is only obligated to fight in Bellator once a year. Cross promote, which I get it. You don't want a champion just because you're Bellator. That's disrespectful on that end. So I understand the deal. The now is Ryzen and Bellator. Yes, probably the fight to make is Kyoji versus letter but to Ryzen and if does that mean like does that mean letter can only become Ryzen 
we have that controversy. Follow wait for Kyoji back to Bellator. We're gonna try to do the featherweight, but get the um Horiguchi in Bellator for life. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's confusing. <laughs> it's confusing, but if 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 Horiguchi really is only obligated to to uh, compete for Bellator, I guess to defend the belt once a year, then well, we're in a pickle. So either they, either Bellator, you know, Scott Coker convinces Ryzen to let Horiguchi defend the belt earlier, or as you suggested, I think it would be cool for Archuleta to go over there. Um, you know, it's like, uh, now you really got to do this one for Bellator, right? Get us a belt because we don't mm-hmm. even have our own belt at 135. But um, you could also go like the UFC loves to do the interim interim route. But then mm-hmm. you, who do you have, who do you have Archuleta fight? Um that would be kind of weird. It wouldn't. It, would, it wouldn't make. It wouldn't be exciting to have him fight Caldwell again. Who was? I mean, it, it kind of makes sense because he was just the champ. But it's like whatever. If Darian, uh, do you get shot at Kyoji? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, you don't want that. So, so it is a. It is a pickle, man. Uh, I think they just should just let Archuleta go fight um, call, uh, Horiguchi at Ryzen. But I mean, that's a risk too because if if he has trouble the way Caldwell said he had trouble in Japan, which was getting around, not finding the food he needed, not being able to have a bath in his hotel room and then fighting in a ring, like, you know, Archuleta maybe knowing in advance or he's probably maybe he's fought in Japan. I don't know. But these little things that could make a difference. Do you really want to risk another of your fighters losing to Ryzen? And then what does that start saying about your promotion? So very tricky situation that Bellator has, has found itself in. And uh, and then and then the tournament is also right there on the horizon. That starts in October. So, look, if Archuleta can get a 135 shot at the belt, a shot at the belt at 135 before October, go for it. But it seems kind of like it's going to be hard to do. Uh, so so maybe wait and just sit sit tight for the tournament to start. But you know, October's far. But it's not that far. You know. You know, this is going to sound like what well, do you think he's going to lose, but the only is the least controversial. Is, you know, just like we saw, you know, it took uh, before he got to the second round fight against MVP, like last September, in the opening round. Archuleta fights the 145 tournament, you know, coming wins his fight doesn't happen till later and he gets the fight with Horiguchi early 2020. That's the only way I think that this works out everybody. Now, if he loses in the 145 tournament, is he still the Bantamweight contender? You have to ask that question for yourself when you But that um, that's going to be the key, if you ask me. It's, that's the only way you can figure it out. Yeah. We'll, uh, my favorite way to end a segment is to just say, we'll see. And that's how I feel about this one. <laughs> uh, I have uh, quite a few things going on on the prelims. Aaron Pico, Heather Hardy, Dylan Dennis, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Pico, wrestling still gets caught with the flying. You know, just a bust, growing pain, everything uh, under the sun about Aaron Pico me 
I think that he just down in taking Adam Borix, and he faced a very dangerous guy who made an adjustment and he lost and he got caught again. I think that this is a sign of this is all that other negative stuff for Pico. But I will say, I think promotion-wise, you just need to fight. Because, you know, I think that just letting them double at the end of the day, this is starting one more long-term issue. Then you're really struggling building this guy's confidence and all that. And, you know, part of uh, promotion is development of a star. And I think that's, at the end of the day, what needs to happen with Pico. What about you? Yeah, give the man a fair fight. I mean, he's four and three. Give him a man, give him an opponent who's who's four and three or somewhere, you know, thereabouts. There's plenty of those dudes out there. At this point, they're for, they're, they're like, it's like forcing a fifth grader to go to high school. It's just, it's too much, right? Like 12 and 0, that's a, that's a really strong record. And Pico uh, clearly improved by being at Jackson Wink, even for seven weeks, right? He had a, yep. a, a one place to do all of his work. He had one head coach to devise a game plan. And it was a fine game plan. User wrestling, it was working. But every time he got to his feet, I got very nervous. I told my fiance, every time he stands up, I get nervous. And well, sure enough, with good reason, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Spectacular knockout by Adam Boric. Bor- Everyone says his name differently, so I don't know what the right way to say it is. <laughs> but Boric, Boric, whatever it is, Boric. Yep. Uh, yeah, spectacular finish, and that's two really brutal knockouts for Pico. Um, give the give the guy's brain some time to rest. I think that um, I understand. You know, you're you come in and they have all this hype around you. Belter really believed in him, and, and I think maybe they bought too much into the their own hype, the hype that they created, and and probably Pico backed it up, right? You know. If someone, if you're trying to make your, yourself make a career in MMA, and this big promotion is saying, "Well, you know, we want to we want to put you out there up front," and you're like, "Yeah, let's do it, let's go," and then even though he loses his first fight, he has those three impressive or four impressive wins, so it kind of seems like he's got he's put it all together, but he really had it, and we couldn't we didn't fully realize that until the Corrales fight, and now we can fully realize that he himself said he went to Jackson Wing to learn how to fight, like those were his exact words, so. He still has some some growing to do, and that's okay. He knows what he has to do on his side. Now we just need Bellator to meet him halfway. Their opponent. Yeah, I think that um, it's just going to come to matchmaking on Bellator for him. Look, he's not done. He'll be back. Uh, Heather Hardy, uh, very disappointing. Um, I think that one was just the cage time. It's been a while. And I'll be honest, when you've kind of fully committed returning to boxing, you know, she didn't spend as much of her free time doing the grappling as maybe she should have been going into this one. And I get it. It's the garden. She's from New York. But that was a surprising one for Taylor Turner um, to really just put it on her quickly. Valerie Lareda, Larkin Dash, um, you know, Taekwondo versus Hooters, apparently. That oh, Gabriel, come on. <laughs> what? Everyone knows that's how that fight was being promoted. Come on now. Oh, man. Yeah. It didn't take a genius to know that's the, there's a reason they all picked that photo of Larkin. Come on. But um, look, fun fight. That's talent. Dylan Dennis with the hurt knee. Getting another submission. A lot of good performances. Um, For Dylan, I think 
that's an example of a guy developing at the right pace. And, you know, there's going to be growing pains. You know, they're going to talk about, you know, you talk too much for a guy who's beating, you know, one to know guys also. But that's also part of the game, too, that you kind of pick your own path. So there's a lot of up and coming stuff. But I think those stood out to me. Valerie Lareda is kind of their She's trying to be their breakout star. She, I think they want her to be their Paige Van Zant, if I'm saying it bluntly. And you got a personality like Dylan doing well. All of that just bodes well for Bellator. Yeah, Dennis, Dennis was, was great. You know, now we know he had an injury and he still performed well. He almost got a ground and pound victory, but ended up going with the submission. Lareda looked awesome too. She was throwing some killer body shots and, and her opponent did not go down. So that was kind of, you know, fun to see, but she was, she looked great. She will be a star as you, as you say, uh, and Heather Hardy, God, how God love her. I should say, you know, if she really wants to go make a career at women's MMA, she just needs more time. And, um, you know, she's just got to go full on at the gym, cover all her bases, not quite there yet. Uh, but it's possible, you know, if she really dedicates herself. Yeah, and I think she'll be fine. And, and also part of that, not everybody's going to want to stand and bang with her and just give her the 50-50. I think a lot of fighters are going to be like, look, I want to make my career. I, I'll take a W over Heather Hardy, even if it doesn't look pretty. You know, this is my friends watching me on TV, too. You kind of choose to make your own smart decision. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of good stuff. Um, a lot of young kids that will be seen coming back um, probably by the end of the year. So a lot of good stuff for us to talk about on the next one. Moving on, uh, Natalie's adopted sister and, you know, <laughs> just her idol and hero in life in the universe, Valentina Shevchenko, the flyweight champion, will be defending her title against Liz Carmuch this August in Uruguay. They are the main event in Montevideo. Carmuch is being pulled from the fight with Roxanne Modafferi in San Antonio to take the fight. Um, first off, before we talk about a little bit of numbers and the business, what are your thoughts on the fight, Valentina versus Liz, especially coming off that big knockout of Jessica I just a week ago, two weeks ago? Yeah, just, just devastating, terrifying knockout. And I love hearing all these other, you know, flyweights having to acknowledge that Valentina Shevchenko is a terrifying opponent. Paige Van Dant said it. Uh, she's like, oh, you know, I don't really want to face her anytime soon. That's a pretty bold thing to say when the division is, is fairly thin and you could get a shot just by being in the division. Like, you don't really have to earn it. You just have to wait in line. Yeah. Uh, so, in any case, uh, I'm actually excited for this fight. Carmouche, uh, I think we talked about it last week. She's she's so ripped, so muscular, yeah. and and a veteran. She's got a, a, a lot of experience. I think it's actually going to be Shevchenko's toughest fight at 125. I mean, she hasn't had too many, so that's not saying a whole lot. But at least on the ground, it'll get very interesting. So it's a good challenge for her. Shevchenko wasn't hurt. Um, she didn't you know, suffer any damage. So she's likely just ready to go. And um, I don't know how she performs on such quick turnarounds. I don't know if we've ever seen her turn around this quickly, like a, like a Cerrone-style turnaround. So yep. hopefully uh, she's will not, you know, she'll be, uh, she'll have no issue with it. I suspect that just the way she trains and you hear her talk, that she'll be ready to go. Um, I like it. And I like that they're letting her headline in Uruguay. You know, she's got the Peruvian connection. So it makes sense. UFC did a did smart booking here. It, yeah, I think to me, the biggest X factor is, is Liz has that W over Valentina already. 
so the a little bit of the mental factor. Not that you're gonna scare a former Marine like Liz, but at the end of the day, it's like whatever mystery is there, it doesn't feel as daunting to Liz Carmuch in particular. And then um, look, physically, I think she's more powerful than um, anybody besides Amanda Nunes, who who Valentina has fought recently. Um, she's gonna be physically stronger than Joanna when she gets a hold of her physically stronger than Jessica I, if you ask me. So I think all of that obviously bodes well for Liz. And then if you're Valentina, it's about the adjustments you've made. Obviously, we know that in a kickboxing battle that favors her most days of the week, the trick is on the grappling. Has she improved? Has she, you know, enough to dramatically take on a, somebody like Liz who trains with a great grappler like uh, Pro Gonzalez, like Limale McFarlane in San Diego. All of that, you know, is what makes this fight very interesting. And yeah, how does she handle the quick turnaround? My question to you, and I am very excited to get your answer, Natalie, is that like Weili Zhang versus Jessica Andrade, the Uruguay event isn't set to be a pay-per-view. It's not a numbered one like they are. So how do you feel about them putting... Valentina essentially on free TV, or in this case, you know, ESPN plus regular. It's not a pay-per-view. Yeah, I think it's great. I'm totally okay with it. So I actually like that the UFC is doing this. I don't feel like we need to have a championship fight in every pay-per-view. We just want, at least I just want pay-per-view worthy fights, right? Give us a good scrap. I don't care if they walk out of there with a belt or can of monster energy. We just want our money's worth when we when we shell out the extra cash for the pay-per-view. So, and, and I also like having non-title, uh, I'm sorry, I actually also like having title fights on non-pay-per-view cards. I think it helps boost the profile of, of the fight nights of the fighters. So in this case, Shevchenko in South America. It just, it makes sense, man. I think it's great. See, to me, um, I'll go the other way. Part of me is like, what does Valentina got to do to get that love from UFC? You know what I mean? Um, she's had great fights with Amanda Nunes. She shut down Joanna. She whooped uh, Jessica I. It's like, you, you're telling me that this girl isn't a co-main event at MSG or something like that? But to your, to your point, I think the only thing I could think of, similar to Whaley and Jessica, is that this is being done with the intention of building them into the next pay-per-view person. Let's be honest. Pay-per-view numbers, despite what Dana White says, we know people aren't talking about them the way they used to. The business is different. I really do think you need to make these moves if you want Valentina to be a solo pay-per-view star. If you want that for Jessica Andrade. If you want that for a lot of people coming up right now. So I think that that is part of the challenge. Um... We know what happens when they don't have champions to headline pay-per-views. You get crazy fights like Derek Lewis versus DC on one month notice. Um, so I do worry about that as we still have six months of pay-per-views to fill. But that's where we're at. And I think that, um, do I think Valentina deserves to earn some pay-per-view points on something? Yes. Do I think that she maybe needs to build her profile to be that? big draw on the you know the pay 50 60 dollars for your money yes i do agree with that also so i think that's what we're seeing with the um valentina on regular espn plus not pay-per-view for this one yeah, as much as... yeah go ahead 
Go ahead. Oh, she also remember she co-headlined a card, so it wasn't like she had to carry that herself. Yeah, and and and, and the, as spectacular as that performance was, that was probably like her only. That's probably the only performance that people will ever reference, at least for now, unless she has a greater one. When you look at her career, like she has had amazing fights, but that is just like that that transcends all of her fights and just goes into like greatest knockouts of all time, you know, territory. So she's still, yeah, they still have to build her up. I, I have no problem with, with accepting that, acknowledging that um, she's, she's super awesome, but let's, we still got some work to do. Uh, that fight is, I, I, you do when you want to become fighter. You ask me, so. All of that, uh, it's very positive news, if you ask me. To another story, this one, back to Saturday, little Kinenko says he is coming back for one, what Scott Coker said, a retirement tour, multi-year, multi-fights. Fedor is 42. He is coming off the first-round knockout to Ryan Bader. Natalie, the last emperor, says he wants one last ride. Is this a good idea? You know, if he's up for it, let's do it. I, I All I hope for is that he can get some wins. However many fights, multi-fight deal means, like, you know, is that two, is that four? Just let him get some wins. He doesn't have to win all of them. Let him get some wins before he retires. You know, there was a rumor that he was sick before the Bader fight in January. So hopefully if he's in top form now, he'll be able to perform better. I like the I like the guy as scary as he is uh, as it was to stand next to him at the uh, at the Vader Fader fight. Um, it's actually kind of terrifying to be next to him and his entourage, but he's a legend, right? He's Fader, and uh, I'd like to see him get go out with some wins, at least some. Uh, when I hear this, I look at his record, I look at his age, I do the eye test, I think about how has he looked in his last several fights, just but before that. Uh, the big word that comes to mind, if you, you've got to respect or you got to respect the situation, you got to call it what it is, you got to call it macaroni, as we like to say, <laughs> you got to pick him up. You honestly want him to have shows and not, you, know, you got to match him up with guys because I expecting him career resurgence at this point. Fedor's a legend. He's done a lot. I just think that, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think, uh, I think definitely some fair matchups is the key here. Um, I'm glad you said it because that is the only way, that it seems like the only way that he'll get some wins on the, on, as he rides off into the sunset. Yeah, and I think that's just what it's going to come down to is uh, the matchmaking. Um, in terms of multi-year, I hope they just mean two. I really don't want to see him try to keep doing this at 45. Um, you know, out of concern for him, it's not that he's, you know, out of shape. I'm sure he trains hard, but the reality is what it is. And we've seen that many different times in the fight game. So that's my last note about it. But if you've always wanted to see Fedor, I'm glad that they're saying you're going to get the chance to do it. I'll say for myself, even though I knew it was a tough one going into the Ryan Bader fight, it was pretty epic watching him compete live, if you ask me. So to me, like, you know, good for the fans. I think they win on this one if they're given a good showcase for Fedor. 
Yeah, it was it was epic. That was my first one uh, to see Fedor up close, like very up close from you know being in the media stuff, and then and then at the fight. And it was the energy was great. His walkout with that scary Russian music, and and the crowd chanting USA like it's definitely an experience for sure. So. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely unlike anything. I think when you when you talk about MMA in terms of who he is. Yeah. Moving on, because I do know we still have fights and we're getting close to the end of the show. Uh, real quick, let's check base with Mr. Double Champ, the guy who I thought he won a silver medal. People tell me it's gold. I don't know if I believe them. Henry Cejudo uh, gets shoulder surgery yesterday. Everyone's saying he's out six months. Um, I have heard his manager say that a late 2019 return is not impossible. I say that is a bad idea. You give him the extra time. That way he is actually healthy and not aggravating something, taking a fight too quickly. I say that's it for him in 2019. He's had two great performances. But what happens now? This is the big question. Very bluntly, Aljamain Sterling, do you wait or do you fight Peter Yan while you're waiting for Henry in 2020? I think uh, I agree with you. First of all, let the man rest, let him recover properly. He's he's done too many cool things to have it all fall apart because he rushed his return. And uh, and then, yeah, now we have the question of what do we do with these two divisions that he's champion of? And uh, especially with the one that matters more, 135, because you have these guys that just had some impressive fights themselves. Uh, let's see. We are in June. I think that Alger- if I'm Algermain, I start pushing for interim interim belt. I start making my case for for an interim title. I know that sounds crazy. I'm not a fan of them, except in cases like you know um, Dustin Poirier at 155. That made sense to me, but I still think that's the way to go because why fight um, someone else just to have your to risk being you know okay? You fight Peter Jan, a win or lose, you still have to wait until the end of uh, until the beginning of 2020 why don't you just try and go get that belt so make a case for it i think the ufc always wants um even if they don't like even if they're putting like two female fights on non-pay-per-view cards i understand why they're doing it but i don't think they're going to be doing that with with uh, the men's championship especially in a division where where especially in a division that is so popular now because of henry cejudo so i think they could be willing to do an interim title and uh, if not, fine. We'll watch just a random 135 contender fight. But uh, I'm I'm rooting for interim. I can't believe I'm saying it, but I am. Yeah, um, I feel like he's just kind of stuck. Uh, I think that it's going to be one of those that... Um, he, I think he's going to take the interim at the end of the day. I think that uh, the time is just too much time off. And I think that when he really looks at it, this earliest, I'm expecting Henry about February, March next year for safety. And I think that when I'm looking at it that way, Peter is, if he's not next, he's going to be after you fight Henry if you win. So why not take him out now? It's kind of like Kelvin Gastelum and Israel Adesanya. You know they're going to be next anyway. So, you know, avoiding them for the sake of waiting and possibly letting them pass you by isn't a good idea. So I would take uh, Peter if I'm Al Jermaine, 
On the other hand, what happens with the flyweight division? As much as they say they saved it, I've already said I don't think they have. I don't think they're going to make an interim title. And I'll be honest, this might have been that inadvertent nail that kills the flyweight division quicker. Because now there's even less likelihood of him coming back to defend that thing soon. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I didn't even think about about how that... uh affected 125 the future of 125 of course i uh they're, they're not going to do an interim it doesn't make sense they have like three people on the roster at yep. 125 and yeah you're right it could have just been the nail in the coffin sealed the deal there because there's uh there's nothing to be done there you can let benavides have his fight with formiga they're fighting i think that's scheduled yeah yep next yeah. week go for it you know rock uh knock uh, knock your socks off over there but Either let them move up to 135, I guess. I don't know. Or let them move on with their careers at another promotion. That, that yeah, that division's kind of dead now. Pretty much dead at this point with Cejudo. I think um, very bluntly, if Cejudo is going to back it up, he's got to just say, Dana, I'm not going to fight Aljamain. I'm not going to fight Peter. I'm going to fight Benavidez or Formiga. That's my shot for my division. Anything less then I think that that one is done. I wouldn't be surprised if they'd say you can move up to 135. I don't know about terminating contracts. I mean, we've heard of them paying other fight, paying fighters to fight in one of their, uh, I'll call it sister promotions like Invicta, like they paid for Cyborg's contract to fight in Invicta because they wanted that deal. Um, something to honor the flyweights in the situation or, yeah, just let them go. Let them sign the deal they need to. But, unfortunately, that's just – that's what we're looking at. I feel like this has really just been more unfortunate for the flyweight division moving forward. But, once again, speedy recovery, triple champ. I think if you put the gold medal right on the shoulder, that will really help you out. Just throwing <laughs> that out there. Um, until then, let's talk about some fights going on. The UFC goes back to lovely South Carolina in Greenville. This Saturday, Hinato Moicano taking on the Korean Zombie. Natalie, people probably aren't talking about this one because we're all waiting for 4th of July. But this is a very stacked um, main event. These are two exciting guys in the featherweight division looking to move up and get into that top five, get within range of fighting for the title. How do you see this fight going between these two? So I, I for me, this comes down to... This is going to sound like a weird way to, to frame it, but it comes down to who was more, like, embarrassed by their previous loss, right? Moicano was owned. He just got owned by Jose Aldo. Korean Zombie was working Yair Rodriguez till the very end, and then he got dropped in the last second. So who's going to be more motivated to come back and try and erase, erase that bad taste out of their mouth? That's, uh, that's what it comes down to for me. I don't have any uh, technical uh, insight here. I'll, I'll leave it to you, but... But it's uh, it's it's more about the mind, uh, mind for me on these two guys. Yeah, uh, definitely, you're not wrong there. I think they both are going to go out there with something to prove. I think they're going to be very emotional if they get a knockout. Either way, uh, to me, it's a uh, pressure of zombie against the counter striking of Moicano. Um, very bluntly, a zombie is a tough guy to counter. You got to come straight down the middle and you got to do it frequently. I think that's why Yair struggled for most of that fight. He kept trying to 
do other stuff and zombie just kept coming at him in a straight line um i think that zombie stylistically he poses the bigger problem to moicano than vice versa by that same um uh thinking however moicano i think is more likely to land the one shot knockout i think that if you're zombie you got to really mix it up you got to take him to the ground you got to just make it a comprehensive fight don't just try to pressure him just cuz you're in a 50-50 fight similar to the Yair fight i think that he's just got to put a few more of his weapons together use his underrated ground game but i had the zombie in this one i think at the end of the day there are very few guys who are, have the ability to take him out when he's on so that's my pick i think that he's just got more weapons and he uses them a little bit better than moicano All right. I'm going to go prediction. I am going to go with a third round finish. I'm going to roll the dice and say TKO for the zombie. I don't think he's going to want to finish it on the ground. I think he wants to really put him to sleep with the hands. You know what? I like it. I'm I'm picking zombie too. I think he's going to um I think he was he was more like uh effect he had to have been more affected by his loss than Waikano by by his loss to, to Eldo. That's kind of like we're talking about like the, the fights that transcend, you know, just your division or your 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 era and go into the pantheon of like greatest type of that's one of those knockouts. He's on the receiving end of one of the greatest knockouts in the in the history of UFC. You gotta do something to 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 undo that. And uh, he'll be more motivated. So I see him winning. And, and yeah, I think in, a, in an aggressive uh, TKO fashion. Uh, there we go. So we're in accordance on that one. Undercard has some fun stuff. The fight for me to watch on the undercard is uh, Andrea Lee and Montana De La Rosa. I think that one, um, people are sleeping on that one. That's a great fight for uh, women's 125. Um, since we're talking about Shevchenko and everybody, I'm kind of pointing at that one. I think the winner of that one fights Chukagian for the next shot at Valentina late 2019, early 2020 if you ask me. I think that those two girls they're just they're putting it together. I feel like Lee was brought in to be on the fast track and Montana just has looked awesome. So, I think that this one sets the winner up for a title eliminator, especially with the Liz Carmouche fight and Roxanne being um scrapped in favor of Liz. I think that this becomes the next biggest fight at 125 personally. Yeah, that makes sense. I I I can see that for sure. Yeah. Moving on, there is one more. I think the UFC has a fight, but I think Bellator has the bigger talent on display over the weekend. He taking on Rafael Lovato Jr. in London. Once again, this is another example of the tape delay. The fight's going to happen at like 11 a.m. and we're not going to see it until about 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. Pacific depending on your time zone. Um Gegard Mousasi, Rafael Lovato Jr., similar to Neiman versus Rory, Rafael is very tough, but it's Gegard freaking Mousasi. How do you see this fight going? I'm going with Gegard. I think he's he's really smart, not that Lovato isn't, but I think he's too smart to get caught in a submission. He knows he can't beat Rafael on the ground, uh, but he's, I think he's skilled enough to stay out of real danger there. So I stand with Gegard's prediction, which is that he's going to finish Lovato early, uh, you know, on the feet. 
You know, I I feel like it, it's the same, but it goes to the ground. I see that one more of a second or third. Or, actually, I, I think it's later. I think that happens in the fourth. Hafe, you know, Lovato Jr., very well-rounded, very tall, very explosive. He's got a long frame, and he really likes to do damage. I think the key to Lovato upset, you got to just go after him, similar to Neiman versus Rory. You got to just be willing to, you see the leg, you just try to chop that sucker down with every kick. You really, you know, because if you try to, you know, go tit for tat, counter slip and all that, I feel like Musasi is just too dangerous. I think that, you know, historically he's very tough. He can take a hit and he'll keep coming. So don't roll the dice on hoping you catch him early. I think that if you're going to go at him, you try to accumulate damage early and you... I'm assuming you take this seriously. I predict him having a good gas tank, four or five rounds, that if you do the damage early, he'll be slow or late. He won't go for the takedowns. That's how you stop Gago Musasi if you're Lovato Jr. For Musasi, just counter, footwork, slip and rip. I think at the end of the day, he's more technical with the hands. I think he's ready to defend the takedown. And I think altogether, just the accuracy is going to be too much for Lovato Jr. and... Yeah, I think he's going to do damage, and then he's going to follow him to the ground and finish him with a submission. That's how I've been seeing it. Lovato's tough. I'm going to go with a fourth-round finish for that one, though. Nice. All right. Yeah, so there we have it. We have quite a stacked weekend of fights, a lot going on from UFC, Bellator, Combate Americas, a lot of stuff going on. Guys, I will have a very special announcement next week. Natalie, you're going to get the news first so i will have that for you but also to look ahead to next week we have the heavyweights in action junior dos santos francis Ngannou in minneapolis um natalie that one is just good tv that i I, there's a undercard and all that i'm just ready for my popcorn with that one what about you yeah, I mean, uh, both guys are, are right there on the precipice, and uh, it's a big fight. And, of course, it's going to be a banger. So, JDS is super smart, but uh, sometimes smarts are not enough. <laughs> smarts, you don't carry smarts in your fists like yeah. a rounder, right? Yep. Yeah. No, it's going to be a good one. So, we'll have all of that to talk about. Natalie, where can fans find you on social media to keep up with the conversation? Yeah, hit me up on Twitter, Zamudiorama5, Instagram, Zamudiorama. And uh, yeah, I look forward to it. Have a great weekend, everybody. Happy summer, right? What are you going to do? I want to know how you're going to kill it in the summer. I can't wait. (laughs) Oh, you are. Just wait and see. It's going to be good. It's going to be a new one for you. And guys, you can find me on social media at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double, and we'll be back next week.